The following is an original audio series from Sierra International Machinery, Pile of Scrap, with your host, John Sacco. Well, hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Pile of Scrap. This is the most unique one yet. I keep saying that. I'm here with my brother, my partner, my friend. <laughs> Shit. Here I am all emotional. I just get started. My brother, Philip, welcome. Well, I'm very pleased to be here with my blessed brother, partner. My neck. And my wonderful son. Third generation. Proud of you, brother. And my nephew, little Phil. You're going to be little Phil all day. All day, every day since <laughs> I was born. <laughs> so, you know, I've interviewed a lot of people. Um... Pile Scrap has taken on, um, we have a lot of viewers who aren't even in the recycling industry now that we're finding out. And I think what happens is we, we are touching people and educating people about what it is we do. But this is going to be kind of about the history of who we are and where we kind of came from and a lot of things. So always, I want to start this off. Every time I talk to somebody, how's your brother Phil? How's he doing up in Wyoming? I go, well, you know, he's the smartest one of the bunch. And they all laugh. They all go, yeah, he is. I'm stuck in Bakersfield. Not stuck, but I'm in Bakersfield. I choose to be. And you're up here, Phil. Living the dream. Living the dream. Living the dream. It's one big playground. A lot of work, though. Peace of mind. Get to smile on my face. Get to do what I've dreamed of doing since I've been a little boy. But only through this wonderful family business. And the two gentlemen and the other team that's not here, I was able to achieve that goal. And that's one heck of a team that Sierra has and a family sack out. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, awesome. Well, uh, look, Phil, you know, I dad, talked to you know, dad, dad laid the groundwork. Well, sure. No, dad, dad laid the no, groundwork. No, no, no. We're a people, people family. We're a people, people company. Without people skills, you will never get across what we need to build together uh, in our partnerships. Okay, so, so, so let me make sure I got this right. Because even though you and I, you know, look, as a kid, you were always the closest one. And, you know, there were five of us. You were always the closest one to me. But somewhere along the line, you wanted to be a guide, right? Because oh, you yeah. were always in the backcountry. But Dad would have nothing to do with that. Because, you know, here's this immigrant, this powerful man. When, what, what 1979, 1979-78, um, I was at the University of Colorado, and I was in, uh, met a gentleman that, uh, who's still a dear friend of mine today that uh, wanted me to be a guide uh, on a rafting, because I was an accomplished rafter, and he knew I was a good fisherman, so he hired me uh, to start working June 1 as a raft guide fishing guide and my poor performance in college <laughs> ended me up on the uh, unemployment line and so my father stepped in and says son we have an opportunity for you come back to Bakersfield but you first got to cut your hair and you're gonna not do the things you're going to do in Colorado you're gonna come back and give <laughs> us a hundred percent commitment and then I said yes so you moved here in 2018 or 17 full-time here full time, it would be 2018, full time. Okay, so almost, how many years is that? 79, so that's 40 years, uh, almost 40 years. So now, you are kind of doing that. All these years later, you finally get to do truly what you wanted? Yeah. 
What's your favorite? Hunting, fishing, guiding? What's, what's your favorite thing? Seeing other people enjoy the harvesting the fruit here. Like you, coming here to see you smile. I stood up on my horse to see you with a smile on your face, with peace, making the cast, watching that rod go like this, watching the excitement of everybody. To me, I'm like my, our late father. He enjoyed seeing people having a great time. That was like me yesterday, man, to see Uncle John up here fly fishing, catching his first trout on a fly rod Jackie yesterday. Was was, Jackie was, was like, actually in tears with me. Just amazing to watch you do it, man. First it time amazing. I ever fly fished. I, we did in Alaska, but that was that one time, but on a river. And uh, yeah, I was successful yesterday, surprisingly. I didn't think I was, it was, it was really cool yesterday. That was, what a great experience. First time I ever fly fished. On so, a private river. Yeah on, yeah, on your river, your private river. Can you say how, how many rivers are owned two and a half miles both sides? In North America, let alone. Yeah, you're pretty. That's look. Pretty you're up here. You're smart. You, you're, you're doing. You're living what you want to do, and uh, uh, I think that's fantastic. So let, let's go to business for a second, because there's one thing that I know, and I tell people all the time. I think you're one of the finest, if not the best, metal trader that I have ever seen. I mean, you know how to sell iron, and you know how to sell your non-fares. Okay. I'm the, the salespeople at Sierra know, don't bring Uncle John in here, or don't bring John in here because he'll sell it for less and their commissions are less. Where did you get that? Where was it that your ability to trade? The first uh, that comes to my senses is when my second father, Morris G. Rosenberg, my late father's business partner, took me under his wing and dispatched me to the rag market in Los Angeles, which was predominantly an old Orthodox Jewish community. Shrewd business people, honest people. There were some that weren't so honest and you had to learn. The trading skills of that generation from the turn of the century, pre-depression, the Great War, World War II, and Korean War, these people were self-made people. They demanded the best of people who did business with them. That was the art of trading that I learned. And you learned that when you're selling an item for a cent and a half to two cents a pound, how are you going to make money on that? So the trading skill, the trust that was built during the old school Jewish community, business community in Los Angeles taught me my business skill. Not Sierra initially, but the Jewish community in LA taught me how to trade with people. So your history at Sierra, let's, let's, let's go back to as a kid. Now as a kid, I, being the baby of five, I remember on Saturday mornings, you and Anthony would get to go to Sierra, mm -hmm. but I was too young. And I would cry when they would leave the door. I remember it. 1800 Country Club Drive. I'll never forget that Saturday in my life. What was your favorite job as a kid? I mean, when you got down to Sierra, what was it that you couldn't wait to do? Go to the printing room and watch bags come off the printing press. See, to I me, never got... I was to never that, in that To department. me, that was fascinating because... The material came from India and Bangladesh, which was East Pakistan then. 
we bought this stuff from halfway across the world to bring it here to put in, you know, to use in American agriculture. It was really a neat experience. Uh, uh, so as a little kid, the printing room with Angelo Pinelli was truly the, uh, the joy on Saturday mornings until the scrap business started going. And then we wanted to go down and watch the car crusher. We <laughs> wanted to see those cars go boom flat. We don't care if flying glass came around, and in today's world, that'd be the most dangerous thing we could do in our workplace. I remember that old car flattener. Yes, we did. It was a crazy machine. Yeah. What about you? You as a kid, your dad brought you down. What was your favorite job when you came down to Sierra on a Saturday? Gosh, get in the excavator. Yeah, the excavator. (laughs) But like both of you guys, Nano had me starting. I remember he'd give me 10 bucks a warehouse to sweep, and... You know, at six, seven years old, that was, I was a rich, rich kid getting 10. It'd take me until lunchtime. Then they'd normally pick me up and we'd go, go to Luigi's for lunch. Imagine that. Yeah. But, but, uh, you know, sweeping those warehouses, I just kind of remember that was my first learning what work actually was. Started out fun, started for money. And then I just remember after doing a couple, it was like, oh, this is actually gonna take me some i just kind of vividly remember that thinking back like oh this is what they talk about when literally from the work. ground up yeah yeah I, I always say yeah the first piece of equipment i ever operated was bro yep that, that was it mine too but you know okay you got over to the new bag side because mm-hmm. you know sierra there was sierra bag company before there was ever sierra international machinery and there was sierra iron and metal but we were always on the bag side growing mm-hmm. up i never anthony kind of worked over in the metal side right our oldest brother, but uh, I, my favorite job was always uh, operating the upstroke baler in the bag plant, in the used bag plant. You were over in the new bag plant. I was in the used bag plant. So that was always my favorite. And to think all these years later, I'm selling balers. And that, that, that if you think about it, it's just crazy. We've, so, we've been taking other people's discarding items, taking those items and making money on all our it. life yes our whole career as workers business people have been converting in people's discarding items um so we've uh I, I found often, the value of that i often sometimes think about too you know growing up in the family business and just growing up in the scrapyard you look at it i mean obviously the point of business is to make money but and you know we talk about hey we are a major part of the recycling industry Sometimes when you step back and you look at it, you go, oh, well, there's an old bike or there's an old belt, uh, bed frame or there's an old steel I-beam. Sometimes I'll think, how many times has that actually been reused? And, and it, they've all been reused multiple, multiple times. I mean, it's a raw material. These items are being melted and reformed and reused time and time again. And sometimes being in the business, you kind of forget that, even though we know that's the end goal and that's what we do. But when you kind of step back and you look at it, Sometimes it fascinates me to go, oh, wow, we, we're, we, aside from the business side of it, we're actually recycling and keeping this planet clean and doing our part. You said a great thing. You know, in World War II, Korean War, the scrap business was to help the war effort. Today, it's to help the world environmental effort. Uh, so we've seen transition in our industry as a tactical industrial strength here in America that produced what Japan needed and started a world war because they needed our scrap. 
to build their navy and their war machine. It's yeah. amazing. So when you look at history, the scrap business has a foundation that has deep so, historical roots in many events in this world. So as kids growing up, you know, dad would bring in people from all over the world to our house. Mm -hmm. We had uh, parties at the house for... Ambassador from Pakistan. Uh, and my senior, Carol Abbey. And, 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 you know, then we always had uh, the contingency from India and Bangladesh that would come Trade in. Trade commissions. And, uh, you know, so as a kid growing up, we always had people from around the world. Father Henry, he was a missionary from, you know, he'd go all over the world. What... Of all the people that came through, who's the one you remember the most and why? That's a great question, and it made me really pause and think here. But the first person I, I, I have to come to think is Mr. Agarwal of Calcutta, because Mr. Agarwal was someone who I personally had to engage with as a young person in learning how to trade to buy the materials that we needed. Uh, Mr. Agarwal was the first exposure to Indian culture, another culture that I got personal with. And then my travels to India, seeing where he lived, doing the business, going through the cultural transition, being an American teenager to go to a third world country uh, of India where food crops weren't grown yet. How many times have you been to India? Four times. Four times. I've only been there once. I was there when Dad, when I graduated high school, uh, Grandfather took me around the world, and we uh, went to New York, and then we were in Rome, and then I remember catching the 130 flight from Rome to New Delhi, then New Delhi um, to Bombay. We spent the night in Bombay at the Duncan House because mm -hmm. they were the big traders. Right across Jim. from Mother Teresa's convent. And uh, you met Mother Teresa. Yes, I did. Tell us that story. Why? Mars, I mean, we're off track. Now, this is Mar an amazing story. March 6th of 1979, my brother Anthony and I were uh, dispatched from Rome, Italy, where we were living at the time, to go meet Sierra's contacts, our father's friends in India and Bangladesh. On our arrival to Calcutta, which is now pronounced Kolkata, we were dispatched to the Duncan House, which was right across the street from the Mother Teresa's convent. And during those times in India, when you'd wake up in the morning, there would be dead bodies on the street. And you would see the, the, the people being picked up in stretchers, covered. Um, they would go to the convent and get a blessing from Mother Teresa uh, or one of the nuns. And because of uh, the tradition at the Duncan House, the guests of the Duncan House were the guests of the convent. Uh, that afternoon, uh, we were introduced to the convent by the nuns who greeted us. We were brought into the room um, where they gave us, you know, the, what they did there and the caring. And then Mother Teresa came out and she looked at me and she put, put her hands and I put my hands and she took her hands on top of mine and I could feel the wrinkles of her hands on my hands to this day. Wow. She looked in her, in her eyes and I saw pure holiness. And as she looked into my eyes, she looked away from my eyes and then this most horrible odor came upon us. And then I looked over my shoulder. There was a, a, 
an Indian woman dressed in her Hindu um, dress, and she had a dead child. But I noticed one thing about the mother and the other lady attending, uh, assisting her on her dead child were lepers. I was in the presence of a leper. And Mother Teresa said to me and Anthony, it's okay, son. And I felt a calm. And this woman presented her child to Mother Teresa where they gave her the blessing, they cleaned her. It was a girl and they dressed her for the ceremonial funeral. And that touched me to this day. And she would not accept money for charity. She just wanted our souls. That's, that's a pretty heavy story. I don't care wow, who you yeah. are. You listen to that. I mean, you know, how many people... Sitting here getting goosebumps. Man. Yeah, that... I think my favorite person, you know, Dad, we had a lot of people. I think it was Ernest Borgnine, because he was an actor, and, you know, Mikel's Navy. I remember as a kid, I loved Mikel's Navy. You remember Why World of Sports when he caught the sailfish? Yes, and so you know, and so Ernest Borgnine in, in his home, and this was part of the the fundraiser things that we had. We had a lot of people, you know. That I think that's part of our upbringing. Why, you know, it, it's been so easy to do business all over the world because our father, your grandfather, introduced us to people from all over the world, and it was a natural. It, it wasn't odd to us. No, it, it was just cultural, a natural cultural differences were embraced by us we embraced wow this is a person from pakistan wow this person is from south africa yeah we lived okay so phil we lived in rome in 1976 77 mm -hmm. then we lived that one summer in Frigina. Frigina, outside outside of rome summer 68 Ringo Starr's wife was Barbara, Barbara Bach. Well, Barbara Gregorini at yeah, the time. Yeah. She married Augusto Gregorini. That's, that's a great story. Remember Joe Walsh's wife, Margie? Yeah, well, that, yeah. <laughs> so that's a crazy thing. And then we spent another summer touring all of Italy. What is your favorite family travel story? Let's have a little fun with what is your well, favorite? Well, we were outside. Of, it just comes right to We were outside of Bari. In the bus, I called it the Vol that what was it the Fiat the Fiat bus. the Fiat. Fiat bus, and Anthony was up to his antics, you know, being Anthony, and all of a sudden there was a chipped tooth in the family. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Whose chipped tooth was that? That was mine. And I'll never forget. Anthony thought that was just cool. Well, when my father turned around and got the situation in his, how he deciphered it. i never seen um, my brother Anthony have fear of what he did, but at the same time, he was laughing at the top of his lungs. Thought it was the coolest doggone thing until he got his first swat on the butt, my brother Anthony <laughs> quieted up, shut up, Sat down. Then, oh, I, start, I, then more, I started laughing. I wanted more then punishment. Then I started. He didn't get it. I wanted well, more. Well, what did he do? How did he well, check okay, his ears? So he, 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 but I started Anthony laughing. Would then squeeze, I got Anthony would squeeze <laughs> your, your right here on your thigh. And, and that was very ticklish. And he squeezed me. And I went up. And then he slammed me in the back. And my face went Boom. wham on the back of the seat. Oh. And there was a metal bar and chipped my tooth. I didn't want a chipped tooth. Okay. 
But you, you okay, you, okay, you you like that story, all right? Yeah, because well, you, you know why? Because uh, it was me who got my butt kicked for laughing. Okay, well, it was you who got me slapped by mother because you taught me how to burp. Yes, sir. So there, yeah, there I am on the balcony of Virginia, 1968. Your dad is teaching me how to burp, and I was amazing. Can you do one for us? No. No, 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 the, no, the famous no, no, no. baps. The famous baps. Oh wow! Uh, and they would just egg me on, and here I am doing it. Well, so mother comes back from Rome. She comes in and just whack slaps me across the. And I'm like, what? You know, Barbara called me. Which Barbara? Bach, the actress. Barbara Star. Yeah, Barbara, whatever. And you woke her up from that. You know, she's pregnant. Da 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 da. And you're out there. Da, da, da. I'm like, great. I just and it was you. That's what older brothers are for. Yeah, I tell you. Okay, now you traveled. Hold on. You've traveled with Nono. Oh, yeah. And your cousins, Brandon and Claudia, because you're all born two weeks from each other. So your brother, you always were raised brothers and sisters, right? So you traveled with Nona and Nona and your mom, oh, you know, around on cruises and stuff. What's your favorite story? Tell us a story about you guys and your travels as a kid, because you got to travel too. So, oh, man, there's so many. The one, well, since you mentioned my cousins, Nano and everybody, we did a cruise around the Mediterranean. I remember we had just turned 13 years old, all of us. We were teenagers. It was that summer, and that was all of our birthday gifts from, from Nano and Nana. So they'd taken all the grandkids on a cruise, get to go to tour Europe for a couple weeks. And we were, our first stop was in Madrid, Spain. And I remember we were staying in this really cool hotel and we're in an elevator. Me, Brandon, and Claudia, mind you, here we are, three 13-year-old kids, up to no good. Well, at that time, me and Brandon were competing on who could jump higher. We're in the elevator, the elevator's going, and you know, sometimes when the elevator would start to go down and you jump up, you'd get more air. Well, we'd hit it so it went down, jumped up, and we grabbed onto the top of the light fixture. And the light fixture in the elevator snapped down. Perfect. That's what we thought. And then all of a sudden, wads and wads and wads of cash just start falling. I'm talking like something out of a movie. Just fat wads of cash just start falling down off this thing. We're... I mean, my heart rate just jumps up thinking about it, going, what the heck just happened? So we immediately, like, stop the elevator. We look up there, and we're hitting it to go back up to, the, to our floor before we got to the lobby. We get it to go back up. We're stuffing Claudia's purse, and I forget if me or Brandon had a backpack. We had an entire backpack full of cash and an entire – and it wasn't just a small It was purse. before the Euro. Yes. So, or no, it was after the year. So it was, yeah, it was, uh, they were Spanish pesos, legitimate Spanish pesos. Well, we run in, we run in, we ran into the room and I'll never forget the look on Nano and Nana's face. My (laughs) mother was there and instantly we're about to get beaten by Nano because he thought we just went and robbed somewhere. I mean, literally. Then we're telling him, no, no, we found it. Then he goes into this, oh my gosh, where did you find it? We have to be careful. Like you found 
either drug money or cartel, whatever it was, we were, there's all this money that was hidden in the upper part of this light fixture uh, in the elevator. And we, Nano takes it to the front. It was real money. It wasn't counterfeit. It wasn't anything. It was Mex or, uh, not it was Spanish pesos. So we go to the bank. We literally go to the bank, me, Brandon, and Nano, to see if we can exchange it. We had missed the cutoff when they had changed from the Spanish peso, when all of Europe went to the euro, and we had missed the cutoff to change the money by like a month, like 40 days How or something. How much money was there? Yeah. It, I believe it was going to transfer to almost 100,000 United States dollars. Yeah. But I mean, it was... What is what's the old saying? Dollar late or dollar short? Day late, dollar short. Day late, is yeah. dollar short. Oh, but I mean, wow. it was just the most unbelievable thing because here we are kicking off this trip, and we found some money that in an elevator. In Sacco's an elevator. in elevators in Italy are amazing. Oh. One day, one day we were in a hotel as kids in Rome. Brother Anthony, your uncle, was fascinated with elevators. He would like to jam the button so that they would get caught in between doors when other people were going up the elevator. He would press the certain button and get people stuck in an elevator. Well, guess what he did one day? He got stuck himself doing the same goofy stuff yeah. while he was in the elevator. And we were old. There was about 15, 20 people in the, uh, in the lobby. And this people were waiting for this elevator and they were just getting a little impatient. Next thing you know, this elevator comes down. Anthony presses the button inside the elevator that he tells me. The elevator gets stuck halfway out, uh, halfway down, but we don't know that until all of a sudden this door, and we see these fingers, and this door is going, and then you see this face, and see this guy getting red, and these fingertips were like this, and finally the, the elevator door opened, and we noticed the elevator was maybe one-third the way down to its final position to get out. He crawls out underneath, jumps out, and runs away, and everybody's looking at this kid. Who the hell is this? <laughs> Your uncle. The Sacco travel escapades. I mean, that's a whole... Well, how about in Venice when, I, when we accidentally locked your uncle, Anthony, on top of a roof of a hotel? Oh, I remember this. And I'm looking out a window, and all of a sudden, I see this shadow jump across. Angela goes, that was Anthony. <laughs> Anthony jumped over a canal from one hotel roof onto another hotel roof. Oh, I, that was a bad day. That was a bad Sacco's day. Sacco's elevators and hotels and as kids. Uh, Traveling uh, escapades. Let, so let's move on. They're probably still looking for us. They'll <laughs> probably fine. Let's move on from elevators. All right. So. Going up. We worked with dad and um, for a lot of years. Now your son is working. What's that like? Tell us that feeling, because I don't have that. You know, Javon is 21. She's a senior at SC. John Carl is a senior in high school. So I don't have a son or a daughter in the business, but you do. Tell us how that, that makes you feel. Feels great. Uh, feels good to someone to pick up the work at a passionate level because you're a family member and want to contribute to a business and grow it. To me, that's a, a privilege to see someone take on the drive to be successful, but not for themselves, but for the team, for the family, and for the organization. I think that's probably the most, as a team sport, former coach, seeing players on the our Sierra team, 
and to have Philip come onto the team and to get along with people, show leadership, show productivity, discipline, and kindness to the fellow employees as a SACO because sometimes the third generation doesn't have a good chance, as we all know, don't they? Yeah, well, I could tell. And, but he's done it with grace, and so it puts a big smile on my face. What's the one takeaway? I'm going to get to you here in a second on this. And I'm only going to ask for one takeaway because there's right. a gazillion of them. Sure. What was the one takeaway, Dad, that you, that our father gave us, your grandfather? One takeaway that you, it's just part of your makeup, everything you do. Do good. You'll never have to look over your shoulder. Fa bene scorda, fa male penza. Do Another, good and forget about it. Do bad and you have to look, look over, over your shoulder. shoulder. Mine was dad always drilled in my head. Your word of honor. Without your word, you're nothing. Absolutely. All right. So now you're going to tell me and tell us what's the one thing your father has instilled in you that you use on a daily basis. Oh, man, there's more than one. No, you, you're, you're allowed <laughs> one because there's always a gazillion. Fathers that influence mothers, but you, you get one. Yeah, you know, I think it's uh, hard work, honesty, and integrity. And I think aside from three. just work. Yeah, there's, there you go. <laughs> three that I bind into one. You know, just work hard, do right, and, uh, you know, things will take care of themselves. So growing up, I was always mean old Uncle John. Okay? Maybe you still are. Still are. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's been another episode of Getting Piled Upon. <laughs> um, you I ready was to pile old, on? Yeah, yeah, I was mean old Uncle John growing up. Couple times, you know, it's been years. You, you, you came to me and you said, I, I, "I now understand you." What was mean old Uncle John to the, the perception into what it was now? What you understood about me that gave you the perception I was mean old Uncle John? Well, you like to get to the point. No goofiness. Get it done. Don't beat around the point. Um. As kids, we were crazy. Yeah, I mean, we were we were out of control kids. I was not ready for I was not yeah. ready for prime time. Trust me, no. Yeah. And I was not ready to be an. Oh, I remember when he held Giovanna for the first time. He went, eh. "Oh yeah, I mean, oh, this is changed. a baby." Like, no, it was uh, the, the overwhelming sense I, of change. I also it. think that's a big thing that changed you. And you know, youngest of five, you know, yeah. You're, when Uncle John I mean, there's, became a there's father. There's still a big age gap between us, but, you know, you're oh. the youngest of all my aunts and uncles, so oh, I don't we think got, we wanted to hold, gravitate hold on, you. Hold we on, We're going back to travel to Italy stories because <laughs> you and Amelia were going to Italy. Oh, man. Here okay. we go again. And he goes, Uncle John, uh, uh, me and Amelia are going to go to Italy. I go, great. This is a year after you're married, or I think a year, two, two, two years. Yeah. I go, oh, how romantic. Careful. You know, that's how you know babies get made. You're going to be in romantic Italy, a little vino. You know, I'm making all, and you're just like, Uncle John, it's not going to happen. Uncle John, it's not going to happen. <laughs> it did. Yeah, sure enough, that's where uh, little Alana was manufactured. <laughs> and then I get the phone call from you. You jinxed me. <laughs> <laughs> not a jinx, huh? <laughs> nope. Blessing. Best blessing. Yeah, I know. That's another travel to Italy. I mean, there's just so many stories about our travels. And I think that's interesting how, you know, 
your travel, your salesperson, you're the RSM for Canada, regional seller, and for the Western U.S. and other than Oregon and uh, uh, Washington, and you're on the road a lot. I'm on the road a lot. We're here, but this is doesn't feel like on the road. This is pretty amazing uh, spot, Phil. Uh, you know, congratulations for you to be up here. This is, you know, people again. I want to go back to people always asking me about how you're doing, and I always tell them, and you know, I tell them, you know, you're smart, but I always tell them, I go, you know. They go, they always ask me how it works. I go, man, don't, my brother and I got a, we got, we got a, we got a partnership. You guys Perfection. don't understand. Don't ask about it. But I always set, tell him, I go, he's happy here. This, you, you, this is peace for you. And, 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 and I'm, and I'm, I'm setting this up because from 2015, 14 to time you bought up here, our industry was going through the worst times, and we also had some bad things happen to us internally. Life-changing moments uh, what in do your you, what, 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 It goes, back, it, to, it goes it, back to Dad's teaching. Are we bleeding, son? Is there a leak in the boat? Yeah, that's when business says leak. When you're bleeding means we're losing money. So are you humble enough to address it or are you going to stick your head in the sand and get you know what kicked um we have no matter through our career it's been a great career but during those years john it was tough and that those were the years where it challenged me where am i going do you want to stay in this game and just be stuck in, in a place that you know it's productive, you know you're making a living, you're contributing, but I'm not getting any nourishment. And what is that nourishment? Peace. Well, we, Being we had in a some... place where I want to hunt and fish. Every fall, I was either in sports, football coach, doing things that I wanted to be hunting and fishing because you have to take care of family and kids like this over here first as a responsibility. And so fall was a time of commitment in sports, teaching kids, being part of the high school, being part of developmental football. I wanted fishing and hunting and riding horses in the mountains in the fall. And now I have it. But without Sierra, without the great you and the other great people we've had on board that are no longer living and are still living with us, I give my credit to them. So did you tell your dad to buy this ranch here because it was in your territory where your regional <laughs> sales manager so you could come up here and work out of here? I mean, oh, I pretty, pretty convenient. No, it just kind of <laughs> happened that way. No, fell in my lap. Yeah, I remember. You know. I came to your office and you says, no, yeah. Philip, this is you. I'm not that. No, this is, I mean, but it is, you know, it, it you know, it, it's a, in life, we, we're, you're at a different point. You, you had... A grown son out of the house in Correct. business. Oh and yeah, I, I got different kids. dynamics altogether. I got kids in school, and, and you know, uh, but you know what? It, it that your happiness is is you know I I could always tell every time you come back to Bakersfield, it's like a meter. Uh, one day, two day, by day three, it goes. When you going back? Because <laughs> not because you. I want you because I could see the 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 happy meter dropping on you just because it's the intensity of it all. And and here, you know, you get to do what you do best, and that's trade the medals at for Sierra, and you know you oversee it. But it's that day to day thing that really is a downer for you. Yeah, the day to day thing after forty some odd years of 
and I don't want to use this, but it's some, I use it. It's maybe not the right term, but babysitting adults. Tired of it. That means managing ongoing processes between links of personnel in our business. I want the team to, to take on their own responsibility, which they've done. They are a very interlocked chain. One link gets weak, it affects the whole chain. And this team that we have built at Sierra won't allow that now. And it's a culture to keep the chain strong. And for me to be like Nono, our late father, would say, I just want to be the conductor. I just want to conduct the orchestra. I know when you're out of tune. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's, say to you. that's the role I've embraced. I enjoy it. But to see the success like our young salespeople, Jessica, coming up with a sale, to see the diversity in our sales team, the diversity in our purchasing team and management teams from the equipment side from Georgia to Bakersfield to the logistic team in, in Sierra Recycling. These are wonderful people that are getting it done. And you know what? It is wonderful to stand back and watch the team play between the lines and score touchdowns. So As a coach... I want to be the coach. Yeah, I love coaching too. Yeah, coaching John Carlo is there. There is nothing like coaching. Coaching. Coaching was, is the ultimate. I always say I'd quit my day job if I could coach, but it sure doesn't pay like my day job. <laughs> you know, son, it, what you said there and my taking it away from Sierra actually took time away from Sierra. Did it help Sierra? No. It helped the kids and 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 the things I did for the, the school. But when I look back at it, I left a lot of my talent off the field for Sierra, and that I won't do again. I, you know, that's, uh, that, that's, just, that's, 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 that's the rear the view mirror that it's the proverbial it, 2020, yeah, hindsight's but 2020. But in your know, late that. 50s, you learn that, and that's, a, that's okay. Yeah. It's okay. It's part of life, and, I, and I've embraced it and made that change. That's why I retired from coaching, to give it back to Sierra in my last years. All right, we're going to... We're going to come to conclusion here, but I always like to, you know, I think about a lot of funny things, you know, my mind, the way I am, I like to think of a lot of funny things. What's the funniest story at Sierra that you got to come up? Oh, I know what it is. There's no question. One day, Dad, Morris Rosenberg, Mario DiMofetto, Mike and Darian invited me to lunch at the Bakersfield Country Club. It's in the middle of the summer, potato season. I didn't have the time to go from the factory to go have lunch. But they demanded me to do so. It was part of the recognition of doing a good job. And, and, and of course, being with Dad, Rosie, Mario, who was my godfather, it was a great lunch. And we were all talking until Dad took a phone call at the bar. You remember the old bar? Yeah, after? sure. Yeah. The orange and bar. Yeah, the ben, we have a phone call, and Dad gets on there, and Dad comes right back to the table, irritated, red. You can tell my father was irritated. He tells Rosie, we got to go. There's an issue out down at Sierra. Fire department's been not, we thought it was fire. But it wasn't a fire. As we got down on Mount Vernon, and we started going over the overpass, we noticed a huge cloud of <laughs> dust. I mean, not a small cloud. I mean, a very large cloud plume coming up into the sky. And we were just going, wow, what's going on over there? As we started looking, 
It was right over Sierra and Calcott. So we came down Brundage. We were going westbound on Brundage, and then we made a turn into the yard. We noticed it was coming from Sierra. Well, we drove in the back, and there was my brother Anthony in a 1955 Oldsmobile doing figure eights around the strap pile and had built a dirt track that actually had a mild bank to it. And he was side going and this cloud and everybody, there was a crowd around. I never laughed harder in my life. And to hear my godfather go, that doggone kid. I can't trust that doggone kid because every time we leave, the doggone kid messes up here, Ben. So hearing my dad, Mario, two Italians from the old world, start screaming at each other, and then this calm Jewish guy would say, why don't we just get him out of the car and kick his butt? Well, they drove right up to him, and old son Anthony did a, a side Brody stops as we were coming here and stops between me and the bed. His car going sideways, stop. Mario jumps out of the car. Dad jumps out of the car. I stay in the back seat of the car. Rosie's sitting in the front seat. It's going to be okay, Phil. Well, my brother Anthony ran from both of them. They couldn't catch him. <laughs> Until that night at the dinner table, Anthony had to address oh, that. I can only imagine when, when you well, cross Nana, the old drill sergeant, World War II. I mean, but you guys, just to see the all the employees gathered around. It was like a, a demolition derby in a scrapyard with my brother creating the biggest dust cloud I've ever seen. You know, we used to have, take in cars. We used to have, be an auto dismantler and he would get, if he could get one running, man, that was, he, he, was on. he, he knew how to, it's your funniest story. Oh man. I was probably 10, 11 years old. You guys had just bought the new excavators in the back. It's old scrapyard stories. And you had Qatar, and I believe it was Sindhu. Sindhu. Sindhu that were running it. And I remember I was in the front, and you just kept hearing this loud, <laughs> like this booming sound that would sh shook the ground in the front parking lot. And then you look back, and here you see these two excavators with grapples fighting. Just... Hitting was, booms, grapples grabbing on each other. Here, here's these two guys fighting in two almost brand new excavators. Perfect. And, and I'll never forget Nano just beelining it back. Dad, you coming out of the office, going with you guys, and just, I mean, you almost couldn't help but laugh, but then at the same time, just all hell broke loose. Poor guys, they were, well, rightfully so, they were fired on the spot, but... Oh my gosh, talk about being a little kid laughing at a scrapyard story. Who would have thought two grapples? Two, two dueling a, booms yeah, and grapples. Yeah, just going at it. Well, my, you know, there's so many, but the one that's coming to my head because you, you, you brought up Mario, and Mario had a temper, is he'd get so upset, he'd open doors and slam them. And he'd, that, da, da, whatever. And, and one time, I went to go up and he looked at me, all calm. He went, you can't come in yet. And he's just slamming the door right in front of me. And I'm just... <laughs> oh, man. You know, today, those actions, you, you just... 
you know, those we couldn't things, do those things it, in the workplace. So much things are not no, you can't tolerate. But you know, I think that's uh, uh, it's just part of what we are. Well, look, guys, we could go on for hours talking about, but we've had an amazing twenty-four hours here. Only twenty-four hours. We fished. We had an outdoor barbecue dinner last night on an open flame, which I haven't had. Been on, you've been on horses and and just. What a great... You get to learn how to shoot a bow here shortly. I'm going to do that, and I'm really excited about that. I have not done that either, so... You're going to so many that. firsts, so many firsts. Well, listen, Philip, my brother, I love you. Love you too, Johnny. Thank you. God bless you. You too, son. Likewise. Sorry for my emotion, but... Our families took some hits this past year, and a friend over here took a hit, lost a friend, lost a father. But life is good, and um, that comes from a really good friend of ours who quoted, says, you know, you Sackos, you're our partner in profit, Dennis Rivet. <laughs> and uh, that has pretty much been my uh, compliment of, to why Sierra has a relationship we do in the marketplace we do, because we want to partner with people in success. No. It's the personal touch. Phil? Little Phil? Yeah. Little Phil? Well, it's... Uh, Thanks for being here, buddy. Yeah. I, I have you. a funny feeling we'll see you on Pilot Scrap some other time coming up <laughs> from past. But you know what? Great time. And look, everyone, it's just uh, just an honor. It's kind of a trip. Kind of uh, Darren McCall punk rock for me to interview my brother in a Pilot Scrap and my nephew. Great stuff, guys. I'm hard. It's, uh, it's, it's fun. Yeah, well, I, I want to end with this. You know, it's growing up, third generation coming into the family business. You know, any family business has its ups and downs, but there's not a greater team, greater teachers than you, Dad, you, Uncle John, my late grandpa. And it's an honor to be on such a great team where, you know, we say we, we throw around team a lot. I mean, Sierra truly is a, and family, aside from blood family, I mean, Sierra has got multiple people where, they've got their sons working or their nephews working at Sierra. And it is just surreal to be a part of not only a family business, but a business that is truly a giant family team. And that's what uh, has made me continue want to thrive and grow this company and be a part of this amazing adventure that we're all on. A lot, a lot of more years to come. A lot of more Absolutely. fun things. Maybe we've, we'll, we'll meet back up in five years and we'll have different funny stories and different great things to talk about. And Well. Many more chapters to write in the book. Oh, boy, I'll tell you. Somebody's got to write a book in this family. I'll tell you that much. This has been another episode of Pile of Scrap. This has been a Sierra International Machinery original audio series. Thanks for listening. Please share this podcast and make sure to subscribe.